Let's begin with prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the truth of the gospel, for the fellowship of the saints, for the power of the Word of God, for regeneration by the Holy Spirit, for grace to live for you, and for wisdom to learn and grow till we meet you in glory. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Acts 8, 18 to 25, in the narrative, the passage where Simon the sorcerer, the magician, wanted to buy the Holy Spirit or the power to impart the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about this last week, and I'll, I want to keep going forward here. So we'll just go up. Here we were on 18 and 19 quickly read it and go to the next slide now when Simon saw that the spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles hands he offered them money saying give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit now we were talking about this and obviously Something happened. We don't know what, but it would have been remarkable enough that you thought you could sell it. Another point that just stood out in my mind as I read it here, I hadn't thought of it before. It wasn't everyone, whoever they may be, they received the Holy Spirit, but it was those who had believed the gospel, right? Simon wasn't thinking about that. He was going to go to the general public with no gospel and just impart the spirit and have something happen and it'd be part of his magic act. So that wouldn't work anyhow. God gives the spirit to whom he will according to his sovereign purposes. So this man obviously didn't really believe the gospel, but it appeared for a moment that he did. Acts 8, 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Now I point out on my slide here, Peter's words are strong and harsh. I never. It's funny how you remember teachers and things you learned 45 years later. What I can't remember is what happened last night or... <laughs> yesterday morning or what my wife told me I needed to remember to do. can't remember. Do I remember what the teacher said in 1973? Um, Reverend Phillips, my Greek teacher, translated this for us literally, and we were shocked. But uh, as a matter of fact, I noticed now that some of the writers of commentaries do the same. You may be shocked. Let me see if I can quote somebody. Apollea here, by the way, means utter destruction or can even refer to hell. Here it is, Dr. Parsons. This is what Dr. Phillips told us in 73, and I just took my breath away. Dr. Parsons, quote, translating this into real literal English. Quote, only here... In the New Testament, 
a present optative is used expressing a strong wish, perhaps best translated, I'm quoting, to hell with you and your money, unquote. Yikes. Peter was not too happy with Simon, was he? Dr. Phillips said the same thing. Now, English translations aren't going to say that. It's a little shocking. But using the optative, which is rare, isn't it? Yeah, very rare. Very rare. It makes this just like bam. Now, this doesn't mean we get to do that when we're mad at somebody at the boat landing. Can't do that, no. But this was a really bad situation. Now, the fact is, we know that Simon wasn't a real true convert. He just wanted to be a magician. Now, let's look up some cross-references. I have a lot of them, and I'll I'll have you read. In these cross-references, the same word, apoleia, is used. May your silver bring you to apoleia, destruction. So let's look up some cross-references. Matthew 7.13, Mr. Eric, 7.13. Jen, could you be looking up John 17, 12? And Bill, Romans 9, 22. Steve, Philippians 1, 28. Now, Eric, well, you're over here. Philippians 3, 18 and 19. This is just examples of this word, apoleia. Go ahead. Was that Matthew 7? 13. Verse 13? Matthew 7, verse 13. Yes. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. The word destruction is apoleia. Okay. 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 John seventeen twelve. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them. And not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Nobody perished but the son of Apollo. Go ahead. Romans 9.22. Yeah, Romans 9.22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction? The word destruction, our word here. Apollea. Okay, Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Philippians 3, 18 through 19. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, God is their belly. Oops, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Tell you, I'm sorry, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Their end is destruction, apoleia. Notice this term refers to people's eternal destiny, apoleia. Christy, could you look up 2 Peter 2.1? 2 Peter 2.1. 2 
But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Yeah, bringing this apoleia. So it means destruction, ultimate eternal demise. So using the optative, rare in the Greek, Peter tells Simon where he can go with his money. There it is. Do you think trying to sell the gifts of God for money is a serious problem? Yes or no? Yes? Have you ever seen anybody on TV doing that? Yes? Now, one can almost say that that process is so successful, the false teachers are able to stay on TV and buy more station time and airtime. There's no Peter on the scene of history who was an apostle saying you're going to destruction. We have to figure that out for ourselves so that we don't follow them. Dr. Tannehill, whose great book, The Narrative of Unity of Luke-Acts, is a great resource, says this, quote, whenever religion is used to make its leaders seem great and powerful, and whenever religion becomes a commodity by serving the interests of those who have or want money, it has become corrupt, end quote. And to that, I can certainly say amen. Corruption in church, selling what God gives for free for money. Last week, we heard testimony about a man who's selling gold crosses to scare away demons with Christians like that who needs pagans. Now, Let's all turn together. I'll read this one. Deuteronomy 29, 17 to 20. Here's God's warning. Deuteronomy 29, 17 to 20. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they had with them so that there will not be among you a man or a woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve gods of those nations, that there will not be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. This bitter root is mentioned in Hebrews 12. Verse 19, it shall be when he hears the words of this curse, that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. And the Lord shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in this book, will rest on him, 
and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. So that's, again, cited in Hebrews 12, warning about the root of bitterness. And so Simon the sorcerer is condemned by God's own word as one who is heading to destruction. The sad thing that's happened in church history, especially recently, is the idea that these things, like what Peter did here, what he said to Simon, were a throwback to kind of the way people used to think. But now we've evolved to think more clearly, and we know that God would never do this. God would never send anybody off to hell. Have you heard that? Well, I grew up hearing that in a liberal church. And I thought, well, okay. On one hand, they told me there's no hell. On the other hand, they told me God doesn't care what we do. And on the other hand, they told me we, the Bible isn't really true. And by the time I was an older teenager... I left the church because what difference does it make if I'm religious? And they said, well, you can be a good person. Well, I thought I might not be so great, but I'm at least as good as everybody else I work with. You know, we deceive ourselves. We think we're better than we are. So what do I need religion? I don't need religion. And that's what happened until I was converted. Maybe you've had this at your conversion. I was 20 years old. The moment I was converted through the gospel, I knew that hell was real. Even though the person who was my wife, now my wife, Diane, she was the one witnessing to me, didn't mention hell. In my mind, when I suddenly knew it was true, everything in the Bible's true, then I knew hell was true too. And if I knew I didn't repent, I would go there. That's where Simon is going. And we can't delete things from the Bible because the culture doesn't like them. Do you believe that? The Bible means what it says. Let's go to the next verse. Here's what Peter says to Simon the sorcerer. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. The word translated portion, I believe, kleros, means lot. Now, this verse I love, and I always quote. Who has the mic? Eric, could you read Acts twenty six eighteen? Dear saints, you want to know this verse, and don't forget it. It's from Jesus himself telling Paul what the gospel actually does. This is from Jesus. Acts 26, 18. Yes, Eric, go yeah, ahead. Acts 26, 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, <laughs> that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Yes, now, the word inheritance there. You see that? It's the same word for portion 
in Acts 21, Acts 8:21, Kleros. So Peter says, your money will perish with you, or may your money perish with you. Then he says, you don't have no Kleros. You don't have a lot in this, an inheritance, a portion allotted to you. That means you're not a Christian. You have no eternal reward, but face eternal destruction. Now, Jesus said that those whose eyes are open through the gospel, look at, if you have it open, Acts 26, 18. Notice what happens. I quote this five or six times a week to CIC readers who contact me because they think they have demons. Number one, to open their eyes. Does that happen when you're saved? Your eyes are open. Number two, so that what comes first? Opening of eyes. What's the result? So that they turn from darkness to light. Turn is a synonym for repentance. To turn. To turn from idols to serve the living God is to repent. So that repentance is taught more often than people realize because there are synonyms like turn. Turn to God. Your eyes are open. Turn from darkness. Where were we before Christ? In darkness. How dark was the darkness? Very dark. And the lost are going around in utter darkness, believing lies, promoting sin. And many of you have talked to me about friends and relatives who think that you have a loose screw because you believe the gospel. Does anybody ever get that sense? What's wrong with you? Well, what we're trying to tell them is being in darkness is totally different than being in light. And we pray that they come to light, the light of the gospel. Dear saints, being in darkness is a horrible thing. And that's why we evangelize, because God will call people from darkness to light. They turn from darkness to light. This is through repentance. Notice the next phrase. From the dominion of Satan to God. Stop right there. How many of the lost are under the dominion of Satan? All. How many people think there is no such thing as a Satan? Don't they make jokes about that? All these stupid Christians. They think there's a devil. They draw little cartoons of him. <laughs> Do they? I don't know. I only watch sports, and that gives me enough pain. Because <laughs> my team loses. Uh, dear ones, they turn from darkness to light, the dominion of Satan to God. Those who are under sin are under the dominion of Satan. I was telling you about my conversion. In my mind, I knew there was a hell that moment. 
that I needed to repent or I'd go there. We were in the backyard, Diane's backyard. She's down in Iowa right now with my mom, taking my mom around a family reunion thing. So her dad was a friend of mine before I got engaged to Diane. Her, her dad was my friend, my hunting and fishing buddy. So I went in and Bob knew that we were going to have a big showdown and I was going to call out the engagement and go off and serve the devil and be happy about it, although I didn't believe there was a devil. But I was converted. So I went in and here sits my father-in-law now. He was, wasn't dead. I wasn't married. He said, what happened? I said, now this is just phenomenal logical. I said, I accepted Christ. That's how I saw it. As a matter of fact, Christ accepted me, which is a big miracle. And he said, great, I became a Christian when I was 42, he said. That was some year, few years before that. And he says, but you got to be careful now. Satan is going to want to try to get you back. So Bob, my father-in-law, Bob Hamilton said, and I said this to him. Well, I just came to believe in Christ. Now I got to believe there's Satan too? <laughs> it's interesting. He says, oh, you'll find out soon enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. He wants his captives back, right? So the onslaught came. But we go, <clears throat> we change dominions. Now, Here's the emails I get. America is becoming more and more openly pagan. There are more and more superstitions about shamans, witch doctors, demons. Demons are real. People are in bondage. So the emails I get, because the articles I've written, is, okay, I have these demons. Will you help me get rid of them? Usually the first reply Acts 26, 18, I send to them. I want to know if they've come to Christ. Are they in darkness or light? Are they under the dominion of Satan or God? Have they a lot in this inheritance? Simon didn't. He was still a pagan. Peter and the others did come to the light, and they were under Christ. And so they say, oh, I'm a Christian. So I say, good. But people have different things. They're afraid of objects and places. All right? Here's the deal. The pagans believe that spirituality is based on places and things. So you can buy a holy object to wear around your neck to scare away the demons. Or you can move somewhere where the demons aren't. Or... You can anoint yourself with holy oil that some Christian prayed over so that you won't have any bad dreams at night. Have you heard that one? I just heard that the other day. Or you cannot go into your car because that's where the demons are. Or you cannot sleep in your bed because that's where they are. And so, honestly, I hear this several times a week. And these poor people. So I always go to this verse. You want to know that verse. This isn't about locations. It's about dominion or realms, okay? Not locations. 
So whether you're in Tanzania or Australia or Scotland or Norway or Zion, Illinois, when you're unconverted, that's where the demons can't go, right? If you're unconverted, you're under the power of darkness, right? You're like Simon the Sorcerer. You have no lot in this, wherever you are. If you come to Christ, you turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, you move from one realm of authority to another without changing locations. When I was in my father-in-law's backyard in July 18th, 1971, I got totally out of Satan's realm and under Christ. And I didn't change location. Neither did you. When you came to Christ, you, the lights went on. If you're old, you were old enough to remember it. Some people I know were converted at a young age. It doesn't matter where you are. Now you go over to the next room. You're still under Christ. You get in your car. You're still under Christ. You drive home. You're still under Christ. You get into your bed. You're still under Christ. You get an airplane and you fly to the deepest, darkest continent where paganism is overtly practiced. You're still under Christ. You can't get anywhere where he isn't the Lord. And the light isn't shining in your heart. And you're free from the domain of Satan. If you're under Satan, you can hire witch doctors, shamans, deliverance counselors, buy gold crosses, buy Christian jewelry. You can empty your house of everything that you think Satan might like. Put Bibles on every bookshelf, crosses on every wall, and pictures of Jesus everywhere. Now, I'm saying this because people literally do this, hoping that Satan won't get them. And you can buy holy anointing oil from the guy selling it, who prayed over it, for Luann over here. And so, if you're under Christ, you're not going to get more or less under Christ, depending on what objects you buy from the Christian bookstore, or where you go live. You're under Christ anywhere, and he won't leave you if you walk into the darkest place you've ever been because you're under Christ. Luann. Well, it's just something that I wanted to share because it's really changed uh, something that we've kind of thought about. But uh, about a month ago or so, several of us went to the Garlic Festival in Hutchinson, and we thought we were going to buy garlic. And um, they have different fair buildings you know kind of set up that you can go through and people selling stuff well the first building that you walk through it was like a wiccan pagan selling point i mean everything was the beads the stones charms everything and i mean we were just like oh my gosh are we in the right place and i think as christians you know when we walk out this is almost the worldview we have to start being prepared for because we weren't we were just shocked that the kinds of stuff that were being sold at that thing. And then the actual garlic stuff wasn't, you had to walk through a building and around to actually get to the garlic you want. I mean, it was crazy. We were shocked. Amen. Now, thank you for that testimony. 
America's a pagan nation. Did you know that? And it's getting more pagan all the time. Now, that doesn't mean we don't get rid of our occult stuff. We'll see that later in Acts. They burn their mag- books of magic arts. If somebody was playing the Ouija board, they become a Christian, what do you think they're going to do? Throw away the Ouija board or burn it or whatever. I understand that. But don't allow the pagan worldview to come into your Christian life. I've seen this for years, and I've been trying to help people. I email them. I send them articles. I send them scripture. I, I say prayers for them. And little by little, they come over to a Christian worldview. Let me give you an example. In the 70s, there was seminars about spiritual warfare. And the wife of a friend of mine went to one of these. And they were saying there that frogs convey demons. Frogs. Okay? So if you had like a porcelain frog on your shelf, they said, well, that that attracts demons into your house. And they also said the half moon, that little moon, is a pagan symbol that attracts demons. And so so here's this seminar. And the wife comes home. They just had a little baby. And she was sitting here holding her baby. Oh, Lord, help us, help us. And so here comes the pastor, the husband, home. The wife's got the baby had been to the seminar. And, she, and he says, well, what's wrong? He says, I can't put the baby in, in her little... You ever remember those things that had like a half moon at the end of a baby rocker? You know, the little cradle, the cradle. Somebody had made her a custom-built baby cradle that was just beautiful and had a half moon on the end. She said, I just came home from the, the seminar... And if the baby's in that cradle, the demons are going to get the baby because of that half moon. And so my friend looks at her and says, put the baby back in the cradle. (laughs) This is the pastor. We're not pagan. God's not going to let the demons get our baby because of a half moon. Do you see that? But... As I get these emails, that sort of thinking it just keeps getting perpetuated. People are afraid of places, things, oh, their own past. That one never stops coming up. And we've de- dealt with it here in Sunday school, I don't know how many times. Never, ever in the entire New Testament are Christians told to do a survey of their own past to break curses or to get rid of things that the devil's using to get them. Now, we used to believe that, but we never had any comfort or peace in the gospel. What happens to your past? Let me read it again. Let's see if we get what God said. Open their eyes. Let's read it. They turn from darkness to light, the dominion of Satan to God. Forgiveness of sins, inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Does it say in here, now if you're having trouble, find a professional curse breaker? No, that's what the pagans do. When you go from darkness to light, 
You go from darkness to light. It's all forgiven. It's all under the blood. You're in a totally different kingdom. You're in the light. You're under Christ. And so what I tell people that every week I say this. If you believe in Christ, and Acts 26, 18 is true, here's what you can do. I'm not saying Satan doesn't attack people. He does. I'm not saying demons aren't real. They are. I'm not saying devils aren't trying to deceive us. They are. Because there is such a thing as doctrines of demons, right? It's in the Bible. That's the case. But here's what I say. Hebrews 4.16. You go to Christ. You're in his kingdom. He's your Lord. He's your king. He's your high priest. He's over you. And he's also over all of the spirits. All of the principalities and powers are all under Christ. And you're seated with him in the heavenly places above all these things. And you don't have to go through all of these layers of spirits to get to Jesus. That's what the pagans think. You get to the top one through the aeons or whatever the Gnostics had. You, as a redeemed sinner, however lowly you are, even if nobody ever heard of you, even if you don't have any money, and you don't have any status in this world, and you're nobody important as far as the world's concerned, you, dear saint, redeemed sinner, go directly to the king of the universe, who's over all things, and he hears you, and it promises. I tell people over and over, believe the promises of God. What's one promise? That at the throne of grace, we find grace, mercy, and timely help. Grace, mercy, and timely help. I just sent a document to a lady yesterday who is coming out of this. God bless her. She just loves the truth. She's somebody, by the way, that, Christy, I think you talked to her. And I sent her some scripture about the temptation of Jesus. And how did Jesus deal with temptation? Well, we just quoted it. I quoted all those verses. He quoted the Bible, didn't he? He quoted the objective word of God. Satan questions his motives or tries to appeal to bad motives. You can be the, you can have all these kingdoms. You can have bread out of stone. You can do all these things. He quotes the objective scripture. And he, he succeeded where Israel had failed. He went 40 days into the wilderness to be tempted, and he succeeded where Israel failed for 40 years in the wilderness. Is that right? right? Yeah, Eric's going to talk about that. Okay. And so you can go to Jesus, who comes to the aid of those who are tempted, because he was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So he's able to come to our aid. Temptation is real. Go to Jesus. He's already had the victory. He'll help you. Believe his promises. Believe what God says. I'm not looking for percentages or anything, Bob, but as many times as you've uh, given this uh, Acts 26 uh, verse to people, I'm curious as to what their range of reaction to it is. Okay. Acceptability to what else would they come back with? Very good. 
Thank you. Sometimes there's a process because when you're developing a Christian worldview, what God did is instantaneous. But developing a Christian worldview is a process. Learning the truth about who God is, what he did, what the Bible says, and thinking like a Christian. Now, some, their reaction immediately is negative. They, they get mad. So I called you to cast demons out of me, and you're giving me these Bible verses. I want relief. These things are harassing me. And I'm telling them to go to Jesus. You know what they do? They leave and get back on the Google to find a real deliverance counselor. Which would be somebody who was going to interact with demons. And I tell them, interacting with the demons is going to make it worse. You need to go to Jesus. Paul did. Did you know Paul did that? When he had a messenger from Satan, the word messenger, angelos, he entreated God three times about it. In 2 Corinthians 12, what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient for you. God's answer wasn't, well, cast out the demon. What's wrong with you? Or tell Satan to leave. He said, no, just trust me. My strength is perfected in weakness. And some people, Brian, some people don't like that answer because they're looking for an instant thing. Get this stuff away from me and I'll be better. I'm telling you, if you come to Jesus, the throne of grace is there every moment of your life. You no longer are in the realm of darkness. See, I tell people you're thinking too small. You change realms, not physical locations. And it's not about things, places, frogs, half moons, or any of this. It's about Christ or Satan and whether you believe the gospel. Simon said he believed, but he didn't really because he went right back to darkness. So he's going to perish. By the way, the people who are willing to read the verses and think about it, they get back to me and I say, all right, I've written articles on this. Read issue 131. And then when you're done, tell me if it made sense or if you disagree with it or you don't understand it, get back to me. I hope you. And then they say, that was good. That helped. Then I say, okay, here's another one. So we use the CAC articles to train people in a Christian worldview. Eventually, they don't call much or email maybe every three months and say, hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for helping me. I'm reading these articles. I'm studying. I'm learning. And eventually, once they have a Christian worldview, the torment goes away. doesn't mean you don't have problems. You put it all in the hands of Christ. It's not a cop-out to go to Christ. They say, well, that's just a cop-out. Oh, so going to Jesus is a cop-out. What? And you're a Christian? That sounds like what the liberals will say. Oh, you Christians just need a crutch. You can't solve life. You're not strong enough. Say, yeah, you're right. I'm weak and I need Christ. I wonder how strong you're going to be when eternity comes. And you find your lot with that of Simon, who has no portion in this matter, the kingdom of God, because your heart's not right before God. This matter in the Greek is logos. This word, logos is word. 
you have no inheritance, kleros, in this logos, logos, or logos in English, because they don't have a lot in the gospel. The word that he's talking about is the gospel. And your heart is not right. Uthus, that's a word you read a lot in Mark. Eric preached through Mark. Uthus, what does that mean? Yes, straight away in the King James. Immediately, straightforward. Okay, so your path is crooked. It's not right. It's not straight. So he's not a part of the people of God. Let me quote Dr. Peterson's commentary on Acts. (laughs) Such a pagan worldview can only undermine the gospel and hinder its progress. Peter further declares you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Literally in this thing, says uh, Peterson, which is certainly possible in the context. He's talking about a possible translation. Then he says, it's also possible that Peter means in this message, taking logos to refer to the gospel. Simon is showing himself to have no part or share in the gospel, says Dr. Peterson, and its blessings. He appears to be unconverted, a pretender on his way to Apollea. And you don't want to go there. Now, Lot is used in Deuteronomy 12.12 in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Now, there it meant literal land. The Levites didn't have their own land, Lot. But here it's talking about portion in the kingdom of God. Dear ones, I pray that everyone here and everyone that hears this comes to Christ or has come to Christ and you do have a lot in this and you are trusting the gospel and you are walking in the light and your sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. So we have. Therefore, now... Even as bad as it is for Simon the sorcerer, Peter calls for repentance. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray that the, the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness in the bondage of iniquity. Wow. So Peter still says, repent. Repent is imperative in the Greek. Same way as pray. Repent and pray. Also imperative. The word for pray in the Greek can be legitimately translated beg. Beg. (coughs) Peter says, Simon, you're in such bad shape. You're in so much bondage that you need to Repent and beg God to forgive you. Dear God, forgive me. I'm, I, I, I'm going to go to hell. I need you. But Simon, we don't have any record that he ever did that. He didn't want to change. Forgiven is a fee of me. It means release. Jesus offered release to the captives in Luke 4.18. Remember Luke Acts 2 volume work. Luke 4.18 is programmatic. He said there, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. That's what Jesus came to do. Now in his hometown, rather than believe him, they took him to throw him off of a cliff, which is what they did when they stoned people. They threw him off a cliff and took the biggest boulder they could and dropped it on them, according to Josephus, so the people would die quickly. But Jesus wasn't going to die that way. He walked out of their midst. So he's told to repent of his evil and beg for release. Now, the gall of bitterness is found. I already read that. Deuteronomy 29, 18, Hebrews 12, 15. We don't know the heart, but it was pretty obvious that Simon the sorcerer was in grave danger of eternal perishing. So Peter preached to him and commanded him to repent. Verse 24. Notice his response. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so nothing of what you said may come upon me. He, he didn't want to repent. He didn't want to go to Christ. He didn't want to be forgiven. He just didn't want the consequences. Well, maybe if a holy man prayed for me, I could stay like this and not have this apoleia happen. Destruction. Oh, you pray for me. Now I'm going to talk about Pharaoh in that context, but everybody wants some holy man rather than have just come to Christ. You know what I saw on the news this morning? The Pope declared that Mother Teresa is a saint. Well, I saw it this morning. Yesterday I was setting something more pleasant, the gospel. Listen. According to the Bible, who are saints? All, all true Christians. Who isn't a saint? The unredeemed. Is there any evidence that Mother Teresa actually believed and confessed the gospel? No. Even their own website said that she was a tormented soul her whole life. And no matter how many good works she did, she couldn't get rid of her torment. How sad that her own church didn't have the gospel to offer her. She could have been a saint if she would have come to Christ, but she can't be one now that she's dead because the Pope says she is. Does anybody think the Pope is a saint? Well, that was unanimous. <laughs> I don't see that he believes the gospel either. How, how did it, something ever get called the Christian church that has no gospel? No imputed righteousness of Christ. No cleansing by the blood of Jesus. No eternal hope other than through a really long process of works. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Here you go. Why did he have to come? Who, the Pope? Jesus. Oh, why did Christ come? Well, to make it easier. Not to do it all, but to make it easier. To add, he can add his merits to ours, and eventually the merit 
level gets high enough where you can get out of purgatory, especially if you got a lot of money. Now, Luther fought that one, and they did reform a little bit on the money issue of indulgences. Yes, Eric. I was just talking to uh, a longtime client of mine. I had several phone calls recently, and actually I gave this individual your name. <laughs> but, uh, but, and I actually I sent the article, uh, the CIC article about the, uh, uh, the nations, you know, how God separated the nations at Babel and all of that. You know, oh, yeah, he drew out the boundaries. All of the, you know, because this person believes that uh, she is in spiritual bondage and she, she's Catholic background. Friend of our family, Barb and I both know her. Wonderful people, wonderful couple, but she just is tormented. And she said, I think I need to go to the priest, you see. And I said, no, you don't need to go to the priest. You need it's, to go to Christ. It's, it's you go to Christ directly. You do not need another intermediary. Amen. But it's, it's sad. So many people believe that. And in a lot of ways, it sounds, maybe I'm reading too much into this passage here, but uh, Simon he didn't want to repent. <laughs> he wanted a holy man to pray. He, he wanted, for. yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted see, the goodies. <laughs> see, you know. if we didn't have any holy man, we'd invent one. We'd rather have a man on the earth we think is better than actually to go to Christ, who is the per- perfect high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us. Some people have seen. If I knew the right prayer to say, it would be okay. Tell me what prayer to say over and over and over and over. And I said, you know what's more comforting? We can't pray, but just go to God and pray to the Father in Jesus' name and ask him to help you. But you know what? I found some verses to send to somebody. Number one, Hebrews 7.25. He ever lives to make intercession for us. So if you want a true holy man to pray for you, I would go to Jesus. He ever lives to make intercession. Then I said another verse. It's in Romans 8. The Spirit intercedes for us. Somebody can find that. I think it's verse 26, but I was wrong before, and I think I might be again even though my wife's in Iowa with my mom, so she can't be here to tell me that I'm wrong. (laughs) I need that. I need that. I'm not complaining. I depend on that. I I can't even get myself dressed to go to church. Hey, Bob, it's uh, it's Romans 8.26 here. I was right. (laughs) Remember the guy who said, I thought I was wrong once, but then I got corrected about that? All right, go ahead. That's good. Uh, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. All right. Now, do you want a dead saint to pray for you? Do you want Mary, Mother of Jesus, to pray for you? Do you want the Pope to pray for you? Do you want some local holy man to pray for you? Here's what I said to this one person. I sent those verses. Hebrews 7.25, Jesus prays for us. Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And Hebrews 4.16, we have access to the throne of grace so we can pray directly to God through Christ. 
Why do you need a holy man? You know why? Because we think like pagans. We think like pagans. Every pagan society has shamans. It's a term I use. Or you can say witch doctor. They all do it. Or they have some holy man who somehow has access to God and we don't. Now, you know who else was like that? Pharaoh. Oh, yes. I said that again. I'm glad I invented something in my life. Who has the mic? Eric, I'll let you go ahead and do it. Exodus 8.8. 8. I want to finish this PowerPoint here, so i got one more slide. But Exodus 8.8. 8. There's precedent for an unconverted unbeliever to ask a holy person, or at least a true believer, to pray for them. Exodus 8.8. 8. Okay, Exodus 8.8. 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So Pharaoh knew enough about Yahweh to ask Moses to pray to him. Get rid of the frogs, pray to your God and get rid of the frogs, and I'll let them go. Now, what happened? Pharaoh didn't change, did he? But he wanted Moses to pray for him. And then again in Exodus 9, 27 to 29, we won't go there, but in verse 28, Pharaoh said, make supplication to Yahweh. When my brother Wayne became a new Christian, I have a picture of that, by the way, of us in this coffee house witnessing to people in 1972. Wayne was our first convert. And I love my brother. He loves the Lord. And he went to this meeting where they had an evangelist, and I, I, I wasn't there, but when Wayne told me about it, it was just like I was there. He said the, the evangelist sermon was another night with the frogs. And it was based on Exodus 8.8. 8. And he was talking to people who had been raised in a Christian home, but hadn't turned to Christ. And they just kept putting up with not being with Christ and whatever bad things happen because of that. Or they may say, Mom, you pray for me. Or, you know what I mean? Some people, maybe you've been there. Well, I think maybe those Christians could pray for me. It might be good. And so the evangelist preached another night with the frogs. So are you going to repent and come to Christ or spend another night with the frogs? And my brother Wayne got all excited. He was a new Christian, so... They, back then, they had altars and people to run up and cry and pray. And he came back and said, oh, I heard this great sermon, Another Night with the Frogs. <laughs> and I got away, you know, of course, we got away from the frogs, didn't we? We came to Christ. Oh, Peter, you pray. Oh, I don't want this to happen to me. I don't want to repent, but I don't want this to happen to me. Pharaoh, oh, you pray to your God, Moses. I, I don't like these frogs. But he didn't want to repent. One more slide. We're going to do this. This is it. Acts 8.25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. 
who are preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Oh, if you'd only know what a miracle this is. Brian Beers called me the other night. Actually, you called right when I was enjoying your tomatoes. <laughs> Which is always. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is this time of the year, why wouldn't you? And Brian called all excited. Oh, I was just, you were doing research, right, Brian? Yeah, I was reading an article on Samaritans. Well, go ahead and tell the story. Why should I tell it for you? I was reading a uh, article by a, a fellow, I can't recall who, on the uh, book of Micah who prophesied that when the Jews were displaced in 720, by, 722, 722 by the Assyrians that the people that came in and uh, later on when the Jews were allowed back. They didn't want temples being built. They uh, uh, were living in their homes and on their land. Those people were the eventual Samaritans right. in the New Testament, and that's where that hatred uh, yeah. grew from. It went back centuries, the hatred. And they, they ended up setting up, the, they got their own canon and their own place to worship and rejected the Jews. And we've talked about Luke 9, 53, 54. We've been over that, where the disciples wanted to call down fire to destroy them. That has all gone away now because of the gospel. And they're starting back to Jerusalem. That would be Peter and John. And what do they do? Once they get it, oh, God saves Samaritans. He wants them to receive the Holy Spirit, not to be burned up like the prophets of Baal. So what did they do? They preached the gospel all the way through the places where earlier the Samaritans had not welcomed Jesus. So they were testifying and preaching the word of God and thank God for the gospel. Yes, Lonnie, and then we'll... I just wanted to say there are Samaritans living right now uh, I've got a Jewish friend, and he talks about a couple Samaritans that he knows. And I asked him about their religious beliefs, and he says, well, I guess you'd call them Jews now. But they, their roots are Samaritan. All the way back. Yeah. Yep. So some of the Jews came to Christ and some of the Samaritans. And eventually, now the next pericope is God's going to send Philip to preach to the Ethiopian eunuch. You don't want to miss that one. Not because I'm teaching it, but it's so great. You can't believe what happens. Wow, God is good, isn't he? Let's, let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for the gospel and your love and your grace and your mercy and everything you do for us. And may we be those who, like the apostles, went preaching Wherever they went, may we do the same as you send us on our way preaching the gospel. And may people come from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to you through the gospel. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.